0: Well, if you will turn with me to Psalm 32 with that very thought in mind, if I were to ask you what is your favorite book of Scripture, what's your favorite book of the Bible, we'd get all sorts of different answers, I suppose, but I feel like uh, one of the more common responses we'd get would be the book of Psalms, particularly those among us who've been through the ringer in life. It's in the book of Psalms, as as, uh, one preacher called it, it's the medicine cabinet of the soul. With little children in my own house, we always know right where the Band-Aids are, both where the Spider-Man Band-Aids are and where the Hello Kitty Band-Aids are, depending on who it is that will need the Band-Aids. But there's some scratches, there's some bumps, there's some wounds, there's some trouble that a Band-Aid does not fix. And we're going to see someone in the Scripture, we'll see him today get himself in such a fix that a Band-Aid will by no means be sufficient. Let's read together this whole psalm, Psalm 32. We're starting a series this morning. We're just calling it a summer in a psalm. And we're going to go all the way through the book of, or excuse me, the chapter of the 32nd psalm. So I encourage you, like I often do on the front end of these types of series, to uh, become very familiar with the scripture. What God uses to change your life is His Word. God uses the Word of God to make us more like the Son of God. And so I encourage you. Uh, <clears throat> to become very familiar with Psalm 32. Do, do what Psalm 1 says we need to do of Scripture. Meditate on it day and night. You, you'll find yourself as you read, you, you, there's the surface of what it's saying, and then as you begin to let the Holy Spirit use the Word of God in your mind, you'll start to begin to realize how deep These words go, and prayerfully over these weeks, that's exactly what we'll experience corporately together, but I feel like our corporate experience of this psalm will be directly tied to your individual pursuit of God during the Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, and then when we come together on Sundays. Well, here's what he says. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed and bit with bit and bridle, or I will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray together. Father, in these few moments that we're together like this, as a church family with your word open before us, we're, we're asking you to speak clearly to us. I believe this is a word that every dad in the sanctuary needs to hear. Every man needs to hear. And uh, uh, Father, I, so, so I pray that you would... Help us not to feel like this, this isn't meant for me today. But this is a word from the Lord for us for this this day. Father, I ask you to speak clearly and in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the great blessings we have in the Psalms is not only uh, David's sort of his diary, his record, but also God has preserved many of the historical situations that David found himself in, which led to the writing of certain Psalms. And that is certainly the case with Psalm 32. There is a specific instance in David's life that after he had experienced it, he wrote this Psalm. Now, uh, the very first word of Psalm 32 is the word blessed, blessed. And I know that's not a real uh, popular word in the, in the culture. We don't, we don't use that word very much, except maybe when we're saying the blessing and bless this food or have a blessed day. But, but remember last week when we were talking, if you really want the word of God to come alive in your life, we, we, we have to balance between instead of asking, what's this have to do with my life? We got to flip that on its head and said, what does my life have to do with what he says? He's the Almighty. He's the Creator. Now, God's Word has all sorts of relevance to our life, but in humility, we want to come before Him and ask Him, what's really important to you? What what, what is it that you would have to say to to us? And that brings me back to this word. This word, blessed, is the word that God uses to put on a person's life when He says, that's a person's life that I approve of. The word really, uh, literally means happy. And what do we always say we want for our children? We want them to be what? Happy. But it goes deeper than that. It's it's a word, and you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this word over and over and over. He said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, So, what God's saying is, if you want to be happy, here's how to do it. Now, if you ask most people how to be happy, they give you all sorts of answers be healthy and then you'll be happy, or be wealthy and then you'll be happy or be, get this job and you'll be happy. But, but interestingly enough, the Scripture says, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And you don't hear that very much, do you? So, so we'll, what, what I want to do for a few moments is go to, you see there in the Scripture, or on the screen, 2 Samuel 11, and find out some of the background for when David wrote this. So if you're in Psalms, just go towards the front of the Bible, a little few books, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Because David is talking about how to be happy in response, actually, after the most unhappy season of of his life, the most difficult experience of his life, the the time in his life where he walked a path, if we go back to the video, that that he does not want his sons to follow. So 2 Samuel 11, if you want to read along, we're, we're going to talk about an anatomy of a moral Failure. We have many popular uh, TV shows, I think, on uh, that talk about a crime scene investigation today. Well, we're going to do a, a kind of a sin scene investigation, pick up the pieces, and, and on, on want to be able to say two things as a pastor. One, we need to read this in order to protect us from the from the ditch of sin that David finds himself in. Number one, on the front and be protected. Number two, if it so happens in our lives we find ourselves already in the ditch. We want to see how God will restore us out of it. So does that make sense? Uh, God wants to say two things. Here's how do you keep out of this trouble. Or if you happen to find yourself in this trouble, here's the way out of it. So let me give you the, the, the scene. All right, if we, we don't have yellow tape around this text. No crime scene tape. But here's what the Bible says. It says, in the time of the year, springtime of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Now, as as we go through this narrative, I just want you to mark in your mind where David went wrong, the mistakes that David makes. How does he get in the pit? So so here's here's how we start. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Now, who's the king? David's the king. All right, so just a real clear hint, we already made a mistake. Listen to it again. And the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants and all Israel with him. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now it happened, late one afternoon, David arose from his couch. And he went up on the roof of the king's house to walk. And while he was on the roof, he saw a woman Bathing, And the woman was very beautiful. So David sent and inquired about this woman, and one said to him, Is this not Bathsheba, Eliam's daughter, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers to her and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now, she had been cleansing herself from her uncleanness. The Bible has some irony to it at times. And she went home, and she conceived, and she sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now, we're going to study in the coming weeks what follows, but we've got enough of the sin scene to investigate for our purposes this morning. So again, here's how to stay out of the ditch. We'll say, don't repeat what David did. Number two, it may be true, as we study some of these things, you say, well, I've kind of repeated some of these things. Good news is the whole psalm is about how to get out of the ditch. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And oh, by the way, the Bible says we've all got transgression. So let's talk about it for a moment. What, what are some of the things that David does, the mistakes he makes, the wrong turns that he takes? He makes a series of, of blunders, and they intensify. Uh, so, so quick repentance is a blessing in your life. The Holy Spirit, when he gets a hold of you and says, what you just did is wrong, don't ignore him, because if you continue to resist his saying that you need to turn around, you need to back up, you need to, 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 to repent, the further you go in not repenting, that's called pride, say, no, no, I'm going to keep going my own way, the worse it will get for you, and oh, by the way, the worse it will get for others, because we do not sin unto ourselves. There are consequences for our actions, and David doesn't even have any idea what he's open and how it will transpire. And Uriah, who's off, by the way, where David's supposed to be with the army fighting, he doesn't have any idea what's coming down the pipe as well. So let's just talk about it for a moment, that uh, uh, these four things, if you want to follow along on the outline, I'll just give them to you. Is, is the first thing that David does, number one, is David withdrew from his responsibility. David withdrew from his responsibility. If you have a Bible, just take it and uh, just go back uh, to, say, 2 Samuel chapter 8. And we're not going to read all these. I just want you to see something. This happens in a particular season of David's life. 2 Samuel chapter 8. I don't know if in your Bible you have headings, these titles, to kind of tell you what the whole chapter is about. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 8, in my Bible, here's what it says. David's Victories. How many of you have a heading kind of like that? You look down in your Bible says say something like that. David's victories. Chapter 9, it says David's kindness to Mephibosheth. David's, that's when uh, the crippled son of Jonathan is brought in, and it's a great picture of God's grace towards us that he sits about the table and he treats him as his own son. So, so uh, that's chapter 9. D- chapter 10, David defeats Ammon and Syria. So you see that. Those are the, those are the preceding three chapters. Quick question. When we get to 2 Samuel 11, has it been going really, really well for David, or has it been going really, really not so well? Well, the answer is it's been going great. David's in the best season of his life. He's at the zenith of his kingship. Now, if you've studied his life, he's had a whole lot of difficulties back then. It began when Samuel came to anoint the king, one of Jesse's sons, and they didn't even bring David to the anointing because they said, well, he's certainly he's not the one who's going to be king. He's out keeping the sheep. And then all this time in 1 and 2 Samuel, David's rising to the zenith. And then we get to 2 Samuel 11, he's kind of in the midlife. You talk about a midlife crisis. This is the mother of all midlife crises. He's probably about late 40s, 50 years old. And what seems to happen is it's time for the kings to go out to battle. And what seems to happen is David says, I've done enough of that. I mean, I've carried my load. I've carried the portion. I mean, I I stood up to Goliath when nobody stood up to Goliath. I'm, I'm a little bit tired of... My responsibilities. So the first thing, David, I do not believe, has any intention of committing adultery with Bathsheba at this point. I don't think he's thinking, I'm going to send everybody away, and then when they're all gone, I'm going to have a little fun. I I don't think that's true. But, But what happens is he withdrew from his responsibility. So, dads, let me give you two responsibilities that you have. Number one, the Bible says we have the responsibility to work, to provide for our families. That's what the scripture says. When the fall comes, God puts a curse on the man, and the curse on the man is that he's supposed to work. He's got to work by the, here's the phrase of the Bible, he's by the sweat of his brow. You know what the Bible means by that? It's not going to be fun. I mean, it's not going to be fun, necessarily. So, number one, you have a responsibility to work. Number two, you have a responsibility to your family. Those are your primary responsibilities. Do you know what um, a lot of men face, the temptation? They don't want to work, and they don't want to be responsible to their families. I mean, you take those two things, a lot of the defining issues that men face today in the culture stem from those two, uh, wanting to withdraw from that responsibility. Now, mistake number one, David withdrew from his responsibility. Here's what the Bible says. The time of the year when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. And it's nothing against Joab. I mean, if you study First and Second Samuel, Joab is, uh, he's kind of a bad dude. I mean, you re- read about his life. I mean, if you're going to have somebody lead the army into battle, Joab's a pretty good pick. I mean, this is a violent man. I mean, this is a guy, if you get in a fight with any, you would never do this, with any of the Old Testament saints. You don't want to pick Joab. I mean, he'd have you on the ground begging for mercy in a heartbeat. And, and, and it goes fairly well. Did you see what the Bible says? They ravaged the Ammonites. What does that mean? I mean, it wasn't even close. It's like if I got in the ring with Mike Tyson, he'd, rav- he'd ravage me, right? Uh, so, so on the surface, it seems like it's not an altogether bad decision that David's made. He, he sent Joab. And notice number two is David disconnected from accountability. There's one man strong enough powerful enough, influential enough in Jerusalem to talk to David man-to-man, face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And he is, oh, by the way, Joab, and David just sent him away. Now, there is not a man on the planet today that does not need to live under the authority of Scripture and the accountability of other men who love the Lord. That person does not exist. Now, most men, we like to pretend that we are the exception to that rule. But David doesn't just send Joab, he sends all his servants with him and the rest of Israel. So what happens is he's got no accountability in his life. Nobody's keeping tabs on him. Nobody's, nobody is uh, 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 understanding how he's using his time. Or is there? Is there one who still sees everything David does? Who, is there one who still knows how he's using his time? Is there one who still knows what's going on in his heart? The answer to that question, of course, is yes, it's the Lord. And so no man wants to get uh, too far removed from the the understanding that he is accountable unto the Lord. Now, you can ignore that your whole life, but there will come a moment of your existence that you'll stand before him and you'll realize the weight of what I'm saying. You are accountable unto the Lord with your life. In fact, I think, um, as I've studied Scripture, when we stand before him, the first question he will ask us is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with him? What did you believe about him? Question number one. And then the second question, if we get that far, is what did you do with your son? And those two things go, uh, they they have a deep connection with one another. What did you do with your, what what did you do with the son of God? And then how did you lead your family? So, So David disconnects from accountability. Everybody else is gone. And then you read the next phrase. Here's what happens. You remember what the Bible says? It's not good for man to be what? Alone the next phrase, David arose late from his couch, late one afternoon from his couch. Do you know what most men become if they're disconnected from accountability? Couch potatoes. Just sitting around, man. David, David's, David's tired from not being tired. He, he's, he's got the remote. He's just vegging out. He's got it in his mind. Now, now listen, David, David's done a lot. And this thought suddenly sneaks into his mind. Here it is. And it'll come to you men as well. You deserve just a little bit of of, of leisure, just a little bit of free time, just a little bit of let your guard down. Now question, what season of life is it that the Bible says that we can let the guard down? There is no season of life like that. In fact, when you feel like you're in that season of life, here comes what the Bible says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and He, his eyes get big, I believe, the enemy when he says, there's a man who thinks that he can let his guard down. He removed himself from responsibility. He disconnected from accountability. So just a real quick question, men, particularly for you on Father's Day, is do, is, do you have a sense of accountability in your life? Do you have, do you have another man who knows what's going on? Uh, uh, I, I suggest, I think it's always a good idea for uh, a group of three men to meet together. Take that from the book of Ecclesiastes. It simply says uh, three cord strands, not easily broken. I'm thankful here at the church to have two other pastors and we get together on a regular basis and pray together and encourage one another. Uh, uh, we, we need, none, none of us doesn't need this because this is what happens. We just kind of check out spiritually. This, this is the, the theme through the scripture for, for men in particular is they just abdicate, excuse me, abdicate their responsibility and then their, then their accountability. So it's, it's, it happened It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. Can you picture him probably stretching, yawning? He's not tired from activity. He's tired from not being tired. He's not done anything. So so he's yawning, and then he just says, I'm going to take a walk. So he walks on the roof of the king's house, and there he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So we've taken some steps. We've taken some missteps. We've already done two things, two things, two, two mistakes David's already made. The mistake doesn't happen in this moment, the first mistake rather. He's been set up for this moment by these other things. So let's go to number three, is David's going linger, to linger in temptation. Some people say they can't memorize scripture. Uh, but let me give you a real simple Bible verse to memorize. We're all going to leave here knowing a new Bible verse. You ready for it? Flee, everybody say flee. Sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. See, now you know a Bible verse. Um, Here's the way Solomon, oh, by the way, David's son puts it. Nobody, no man can hold fire to his chest and not get burned. Some men think they can do this. Some men think they can linger in temptation, particularly of a sexual nature, and uh, I'm not going to get burned. You're going to get burned, okay? That's what the Bible says. And the longer you linger, the greater your chances for failure. That's why the Bible says in this issue, sexual morality, you flee. Now, you'll notice that David does not flee. The woman's bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And you got to ask the question, why, why even do that? you begin to see some things ticking on in David's heart and mind that are not healthy. I'm just going to inquire. It seems harmless, doesn't it? Well, what's he going to do with the information? But why does he even need to know? Now, you need to go back to number two, some accountability in your life. I think it's a very healthy rule, an unbendable, unbreakable, unshakable rule. Are you ready, man? Here's, here's something I read Billy Graham said. So I've just I've tried to adopt it in my own life. Billy Graham said... Because he's had this long ministry, and most everybody else during Billy Graham's lifetime has not had the kind of ministry he's had of integrity and faithfulness. And he said, how did you do it? And Billy Graham said simply, very early on, I decided as a man, there was never a good reason for me to be behind closed doors with a woman who's not my wife. Period. He said, that's it. That's an unbreakable, unshakable rule. So you, you take that rule, men, and you put it in your life. There is no good reason, no good reason to ever be behind closed doors with a woman who's not your wife. I know on June the 16th, Julie and I celebrated our 11th anniversary yesterday. When I stood there and said yes to her, I said no to every other woman on the planet. That's what marriage is. That's what it means. Now David's up on a rooftop, and he begins to linger in temptation, and he says, I just want to find out a few things about her. What, what does he need to know? He doesn't need to know anything, but he's, he's, some, some things are starting to go on into his mind. David's lingering, and notice what happens. Verse 3, he inquired about the woman, and one said, now most of everybody who holds him accountable is gone, but this one little servant pe- speaks up, and he says, um, you notice how he tries to do this, because I think he can look at David's face and understand what's going on. Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So he's lingering in temptation. And then i got a little mathematical equation for you on the screen desire plus opportunity equals disaster a very important passage of scripture is in the temptation of jesus if you remember this the devil comes with him at three temptations everyone is very quick now, excuse me jesus's response to every temptation is very quick i mean he doesn't linger in temptation the devil says for example turn these stones into bread and jesus said it is written all three temptations, that's how Jesus deals with it. How can, a man, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And then at the end of the temptation, here's what the Bible says. The devil left him for a more opportune moment. More opportune moment. What does that mean? I, I think part of it's the, the equation that I've put up on the screen for you. Is there's a, a time where two things collide and it results in disaster. Those two things are desire and then they're opportunity. So let's use it in David's case. He's got a desire. From, from some of the things that he's already done, David shows that uh, he's not responsible and he's not accountable. And there begins to well up in him. Again, I don't think he went on the rooftop saying, I want to go find a beautiful woman bathing. But there's something lurking in him. And then comes an opportunity. And I think David begins to put these things in mind. Nobody's around. Oh, and these familiar phrases nobody's going to find out. It's just one time. And the longer you linger and the longer you listen, the worse it, it gets. So now he's got desire and he's got opportunity. And, and as I've thought about this scripture, I just want to say one more thing. I think something else might be going on in David's heart. Now if you listen to it again. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and they ravaged the Ammonites, and besieged Rabbah. In, in, in other words, do you suppose it might be true that in and around Jerusalem, the reports come back and the army's going really, really well, and then they begin to say, but David's not with them, is he? David's not, who's leading the army? Joab's Joe, Joe leading the army. Have you ever seen it in the NFL when the starting quarterback goes down and the backup comes in, and then the backup leads them to victory? Or the Super Bowl? How do you think that makes the starting quarterback feel? You remember, it's not too far removed from this is the song, number one on the charts of Jerusalem. Saul's killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. David is our hero. David is our champion. He defeated the Philistines. And wait a minute, they ravaged the Ammonites and they've laid siege to Rabbah and David's not even with them. Maybe, maybe it's been Joab all along. Maybe David's not all he's cracked up to be. And that wound comes in his heart, and I think, I think, as I've thought about the scripture, I think when David's up on that rooftop, he goes up there moping and pouting and feeling sorry for himself, and when that happens in a man's heart, that goes back to this desire and opportunity, meaning disaster, because now he feels like he's a victim? Oh, brother, can the devil work with that kind of mindset? I've been victimized. And you let, this, you let the enemy get that kind of clay to work with, and he will create a catastrophe to the nth degree. So, so another thing I think might be coming to David's ears, after all you've done, and now, and now Joab is out there, maybe you deserve this. Maybe you deserve this. Now, before we lay all the culpability on David, Let's get our full picture here. There's a woman bathing where a man can see her, and that's not wise. Do you know what? I don't know if you, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you men know this or not. There are some women in the world who desire to be desired, and it's power to them. And now, notice what it says. Now, now, David, we've been talking about David. David sent for her, and she, here's what the Bible says, she came to him. Now, that Hebrew there, uh, let's just put it this way, she's a willing participant in all this that's going on. The Bible says David was a man handsome in form and appearance, and, oh, by the way, he's the king. He, and so to get his attention, I think it does something in her heart. That's a wicked thing. It's an ungodly thing. Now her husband's out there fighting with the army, and, but now she's got attention of the king of, this, uh, of, the whole, of the whole country. And so number four, we'll go on and speak about number four. We're talking about the anatomy of a morph. How do we get there? And, and isn't it true we can turn on the television constantly? We're seeing this whole, this, I mean, this story is this thousands of years old, but it's constant. This politician, this athlete, so on and so on. I mean, it's constant. This, this is still going on. And number four, David ignored potential consequences. That goes back to the, to the nobody's ever going to find out. Nobody's going to know. No, no. In, in a moment, this seems like a good idea. <laughs> that, oh, by the way, that's the nature of, the, uh, of sin. In a moment, you don't think about potential consequences. Potential consequences are not even on the radar screen She sent messengers and took her. Verse four, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman, the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, "I am pregnant." I don't know how much time goes on. No ultrasounds or pregnancy tests back then. So a period of time's gone on, and. And now David's realizing these potential consequences that I ignored are now right in my face. So David has a series of at least four. We could probably come up with some more mistakes. And now he's at a crossroads. What am I going to do? Am I finally going to come clean? Am I going to repent? Am I going to turn to God? So David sent word to Joab and said, send me Uriah the Hittite. And we'll pick up here next week because um, David begins to do something that most people try to do. When it finally, the, their sin meets them face to face, he's going to try to go to that crime scene, take his mop bucket, take his rag, take his, um, take his uh, pine saw, soft scrub, and he's going to try to clean this whole mess up. But there's one thing David's not counted on in his equation. And that's this good old boy, Uriah, who will not fit into his wicked cover-up scene. But David said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is is covered. When you've got a sin scene like this, I mean, it doesn't matter how much elbow grease you put into it, it's not going to get cleaned up. But that's not to say it cannot be cleaned up. Sin, when it gets, uh, gets on the scene, there's only one thing, the Bible says, that can clean it. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And we're not just talking about blood, it's got to be a certain kind of blood. Innocent blood, pure blood, what we sang about kind of blood, holy blood. And David does not have that to offer. Bathsheba does not have that to offer. Uriah, even a man of integrity, does not have that to offer offer. But in conclusion, I'll say this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. There's another king that's about to go out to battle, and he's not sending Joab. The, the, the Bible says they, the, the army of Israel, they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. You know what a siege is, don't you? That's when you surround the fence, and you're not letting them in? You're not letting them out, and you're not letting anybody else in. You're going to cut them off from all their previous uh, sources of food, sources of news, so on and so forth. And do you know what God's about to do to David? God Almighty Himself is about to lay siege to David's heart. He'll say as much in Psalm 32, night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. And in conclusion today, we have to know that's a good thing for the Lord to do. When He lays siege to us, It's a good thing that he will not leave us alone. Because here's the options, ultimately in conclusion. Here's where David can go. Number one, he can say, this isn't sin. This isn't wrong. I can do what I want. I'm a grown man. I'm the king. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that is pretty much the, the consensus opinion in the culture that we live in. This isn't sin, and who are you to tell me that it's sin? I'm not telling you it's sin. You read the last verse of chapter 11, and the thing David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's who you're going to be responsible and accountable to. Number one, David can say, it's, it's, it's no sin. Number two, this is actually the option David's going to try. At First is he can try to make amends himself. Try to work it out. Try to try to try to absolve it. Try to try to lay the blame now on Uriah and bring him home. This is going to be his plan. He's going to bring Uriah back from the front and Uriah's going to come and everybody's going to see Uriah come. So when this baby is born so many months from now, they'll put two and two together. Oh, I remember Uriah was on leave and now, OK, now, OK, we got it. That's his plan. But I'll tell you, you take those two plans. You take away the first word of Psalm 32. Blessed, happy. That just went out the window. That's what David's saying in Psalm 32. Now, you can try to be happy and not call it sin. It may work for a season. Number two, you can try to work it out, absolve it, and that's not going to work either. That's why David said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Let's stand together. Have our time of invitation. Would you bow your heads with me? And God's Word is alive and God's Word is active. So for um, two strands, two lines of thinking this morning we'll apply it to. First of all is to the man who's not done something like this yet. but if you were honest you'd say i've not done it because i just haven't had desire and opportunity come together there's sometimes i've had the opportunity but not the desire and there's sometimes i've had the desire and not the opportunity what you would say is oh god change my desires the culture we live in today it puts things like this in front of our face all the time god help me to desire holiness more than these reckless Help me to look at what David did and not go down that path, not repeat his mistakes, not remove myself from accountability and responsibility. Help me not to linger in temptation. Help me not to push aside and ignore potential consequences. So, that invitation time, number one, is for that. And then, number two, say, when you read over this, you say, Oh, it sounds so familiar. It sounds so familiar. Over and over and over again in my life, I face these things. Whether it's a, similar to David or the circumstances have changed. And when you, when you say that God's word says that happiness doesn't come from either pretending it's not sin or trying to fix it myself. When, I, when we talk about that, you say, you say I, I, I found that to be true. David can't clean this mess up, but that's not the same as saying that it cannot be cleaned up. The Lord Jesus Christ will take the punishment on himself so that David can stand forgiven. David is in heaven today in spite of what he does in 2 Samuel 11. And it's because of what the Lord Jesus did for him so father you help us now for the to respond in a way that's appropriate that's pleasing father i pray you'd guard the men that haven't fallen into this kind of ditch from any desire to to peek over the edge and for men who have been or are in the ditch this morning i pray that they understand the grace of god can bring them up out of it And no man warns as strenuously and as strongly about the dangers of that ditch than those who've been rescued out from it. So, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. That's by grace we are saved through faith. It's not by works. Help us to respond now in a way that's pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen.